This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state, and by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Michigan is going back to work for the governor's executive orders. COVID-19 has given us the opportunity to learn, evaluate, and see life from a unique perspective. Work was the biggest tool in the anti-hunger toolbox before the pandemic, and it will be afterward as well. But a job that pays a self-sufficiency wage was elusive for many people prior to the arrival of the coronavirus. This fact has been magnified during the pandemic As we begin to re-engage, let's attempt to learn from our COVID-19 insights and try to bring balance to the bootstrap expectation we cherish in Michigan while contrasting it with what I will term the breakdown scenario. The bootstrap expectation is simply, we should pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps. It's a phrase we've heard most of our lives. God helps those who help themselves is repeated so emphatically, you would think it is embedded in some of faith's holiest scriptures. It isn't. Bootstrapping to coders and computer nerds means to start up and run a program independent of any external input. Pretty much like what our Western culture respects and expects out of most individuals. We love our pioneers, our entrepreneurs, and those who are ridiculously good at what they do. We listen to Warren Buffett, so magnificently rich that we treat him like he is E.F. Hutton embodied. America loves her overcomers, the ones who defy the odds, the Rockies of our world, but we aren't too fond of the ones who continue to struggle. So I want to contrast the bootstrap expectation with what I call the breakdown scenario. The breakdown scenario means helping people where they're at, not where we wish they were. Imagine yourself on a cold, snowy night in Michigan and your vehicle starts to a stop and sits dead on the side of the highway. This actually happened to me when my truck came to an abrupt stop. I called for roadside assistance and soon a driver called and asked me exactly where I was. I did my best to communicate by mile markers, and not long after, a flatbed record truck pulled up exactly to where I was, lifted my truck onto his vehicle, and together we jumped in, and away we went to someplace warm and familiar. He met me where I was and did something for me that I could not do for myself. But what if he had called me and said, Hey, look, I'm about a mile away from you, and I need you and your truck to come to me. I'm not convinced you've done everything you can do to get as far as you can by yourself. I've driven 22 miles. I just need you to do the last mile. Then I'll help you. How absurd would this conversation on a wintry night be? How ridiculous, how irresponsible, how disgusting, how insensitive. How unreasonable, yet this is exactly how work supports are approached in America. Current policy demands you get the last mile on your own. 
We do not approach work supports like food as they should be intended to reward people for working. We take them away, thereby de-incentivizing work long before they reach a self-sufficiency wage. If we want people to not need us or the programs that we use any longer than necessary, we need to change the policy to support work, reward work, and help people leverage their earnings towards becoming self-sufficient. You can find much more about what it takes to be self-sufficient by going to our website at fbcmich.org slash self-sufficiency standard. Meanwhile, Michigan is ready to go back to work and here to help us understand the challenges of going back to work is our favorite HR consultant, Jody Schaefer of HRM Services. Join me, Jerry, and Jody on this edition of Food First Michigan in just a moment. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson. Jerry, I'm looking at you on a Zoom call as we've done several weeks in a row now, and you have the same semi sitting in your living room. I do <laughs> well, that every week in and week out. <laughs> yeah, we just drive it in just for the show. You know, it's you got to do something special. I mean, you know, these are special times, right? They are unique times. And um, hey, we are fortunate to have uh, our human resource consultant and um, friend, colleague, and champion, Jody Schaefer, is with us on the show today. So, Jody, welcome to Food First Michigan. Thank you for having me back. It's nice to see you both. So, yeah, the last time you were with us, we were in the studio, mm-hmm. and uh, we were talking about a, a great leadership event that you were a part of. And Yep. Um, so, wow, how, how, how times have changed, <laughs> eh? I know. I know. It's been a whirlwind. It's funny as I think back to the beginning phases of this pandemic and just how employers have really run the gambit in terms of emotions and and the unknowns and kind of, you know, you were building the car as we were driving it. That's terrifying. So the kinds of questions that I was getting seemed to have a theme to them. But as we've moved through the different phases of the pandemic, the theme has shifted. And as you said, now most of us are looking forward, trying to figure out how to come back to work and do so safely. Well, it's it's certainly a question that we're looking at at the Food Bank Council, and all of our food banks are as well. I mean, Mm -hmm. currently, as we're doing this show, we're still at a stay-at-home, stay-safe order from our governor, and we're honoring that as we should. And uh, Jerry, you guys at Gleaners have set up a bit of a rotation um, for your needs, and but again, uh, you have a semi sitting in your living room, so that tells me that you're working from home today. Yeah, so um, we're looking at what is our pathway to uh, whatever the new normal is. And and some of that conversation is about, well, we've learned some things that that say that working from home isn't all bad. Um, Regardless of what else is going on, there's some real advantages to not making everyone go through the commute to work and home. and, And we've learned how to use Zoom and other tools. We use Microsoft Teams mostly, but, um, you know, and how those tools can help us, especially for shorter meetings. I think longer meetings are are pretty exhausting on 
video tools, but shorter meetings work extremely well. And we have teams who are actually uh, much better suited to that kind of environment where everyone's in their own space than to an environment where they all have to gather physically. So we're trying to figure out not just how to get back to the way things were, but how to take the learnings from how, how things have been and actually improve our work environments. And, you know, one of the things that we're talking about is we think we could have more comfortable spaces if we always had a third of everyone working from home. Mm -hmm. And we could create bigger cubicles and, and different kinds of hoteling so that it's actually more private and more comfortable and, and a work environment that people look forward to coming to even more. Now, obviously, food distribution you can't do from home. So, you know, there are some things that we do, and probably two-thirds of my team have to be in. They've got to be working with the volunteers. They've got to be moving the food. They've got to be driving trucks. They've got to be going to, to sites. But the support work that we do, the, the fundraising and the finance work and the other things that are essential and critical, a lot of those things we can actually do a bunch of uh, differently, and, and maybe it'll work better. So... You know, that's all part of the conversation right now about what is going back to work really mean. So, Jerry, I have a question for you. Um, and this is one that, that I'm running into with some clients where certain positions within their workforce are considered either critical infrastructure or, as you said, the work they do has to be done on site. And then there's a portion of the workforce, more of the administrative work, perhaps. Um, a lot of times it's more of the white collar positions you're finding don't necessarily have to be done in the office, but is there a um, kind of an us versus them mindset that you have to battle in terms of making everyone feel like we're in this together when you've got folks that are having to come into a workplace during a pandemic, fearful about being out, especially when everyone else is under a stay-at-home order, while a portion of the workforce gets to keep working from home. I mean, is that a rub that you're seeing at all? Yeah, some. I mean, and I think as with most issues at work, communication is the key, mm -hmm. right? So, so um, nobody would say, well, let's let's maybe not nobody. I'll put it this way: I hit my my thumb with a hammer. Is it fair that you didn't hit your thumb with a hammer? <laughs> no, it has nothing to do with anything, right? But you've got to explain things in a way that people can understand that, mm -hmm. you know, putting everyone at risk isn't more fair than only putting people at risk that need yeah. to be at risk, right? But but you do have to communicate, and you've got to be able to communicate also your appreciation to those people who mm -hmm. are stepping out and who, who you can acknowledge very clearly that are putting themselves in harm's way mm -hmm. for the sake of others and for the sake of the community, and quite frankly... Um, we we instituted hazard pay, and we're we have a bonus structure in place as well that supports um, acknowledging that for people yeah. that have done more than just um, those of us who can work more from home. Mm -hmm. So I think all of those systems are important, but I think most important is communicating with people. Yeah, absolutely. So, JD, J Jody, what are some of the challenges that you're hearing and your clients are, I mean, we're your client, too, mm -hmm. so I know what we're talking to you about. Um, but, it, you know, there's, there are a lot of challenges. And just one of the things that Jerry mentioned about doing Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever visual, I, I'm so tired after 
doing those several of those during the day. I'm more tired doing those than what I felt like I would have been doing in person. Is there, there a, is that a phenomenon or is that just me? Yeah, I was on a, um, a webinar. It was a panel discussion early on in the pandemic. And one of the folks that was on that panel with me was a, um, a health and wellness professional. And he was talking about a concept called compassion fatigue. And it's this idea that, you know, you're so busy pouring out for everyone around you that it's, it's exhausting to a level that day-to-day life pre-COVID didn't, you know, it's, it's not the same depth. And I think to your point, Dr. Phil, when you've got teams that are remote, and Jerry, as you said, communication becomes hyper important that you're going out of your way to create opportunities to engage with your team as you should as a leader, but it's exhausting because it's it's much more intentional than it ever was before because you're not just physically bumping into someone throughout the normal course of your day. It has to be an intentional, scheduled, you know, you're sending out text messages and you're doing virtual happy hours and you're, you know, it's your entire day can be filled with phone calls. And then you, you get done and you're like, well, shoot, now there's the work to do, which is still sitting there, you know? Right. It is. So that's that's one challenge. Um, Another challenge that many of my clients are having right now is that they were in an industry that basically shut down. So in the food bank world, right, food was was critical. And so you were maintaining a certain level of operation all along and, and could create a new normal in real time. But for many of my clients, business stopped mid-March. And now they're looking at bringing folks back. Well, these people have been out of work for eight weeks. They've been, you know, ingesting a steady diet of either optimism or fear, depending on which news network you watch. And and now they've got an employer saying, okay, get ready. Everybody can come back. And, and they have the whole spectrum in terms of excitement versus anxiety and trying to convince employees to come back into the workplace has been a struggle that I think a lot of clients weren't ready for. You know, I, I wanna I want to add to that thought because um, one of the most important things that we've done for our teams is be concerned about their safety. And mm-hmm. we started doing that immediately before the state of emergency. As soon as COVID started to rise and the conversation started to intensify right at the beginning of March, we started to take steps to to social distance and have hand sanitizer Mm -hmm. and have people wash their hands at least once an hour and 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 we had a different uh process for how you entered the building and we didn't do that because we were so afraid of getting corona at the time what we did it for was to let our staff know we cared about them Mm -hmm. and that we were going to do the things we needed to do to make sure they were safe Jody Schaefer, she's the owner of HRM Services. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We're going to take a quick break and come back in just a moment. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Phil Knight here with Jerry Brisson and our guest, Jody Schaefer, the owner of HRM Services and a new website, Jody. 
Yeah, that was quite a labor of love. I don't know. I, I'm sure you've all been through this, but it, you know, it just seems so easy when that's not your profession. <laughs> it's like giving birth. Good Lord. It took three times as long and I didn't have nearly as good a drugs to get myself through it all. And, but the end product is beautiful and, you know, it everyone's is thrilled. So great. <laughs> and that address is work with hrm.com. There you go. Couldn't be more direct than that, right? I like it. I yeah. like it. I, w- I looked it up before the show today. So work with hrm.com. Mm-hmm. You can find Jody Schaefer there. So, um, guys, uh, Jerry, Jody, you know, this whole, we're starting hopefully to emerge out of COVID-19. We've been on lockdown, stay at home. As you said in the last segment, Jody, people are starting to come back to work, which is a totally different experience than the food banks because we've mm-hmm. been ramping up. Right. But now other people are starting to come back and the economy is going to be reengaged. But um, we, quite honestly, are seeing a quite a long tail to this because just because a, a, a business restarts doesn't mean they're financially whole immediately, mm-hmm. nor their employees. No, it's been um, that's that's part of the heartbreak, you know. In my mm-hmm. position, uh, most of my clients are small employers. They have less than thirty employees, all different industries across the state. And I've had a number of calls from um, folks that just say, I don't think I'm coming back from this, you know, and and these are people that have poured decades into their business and they love their employees dearly and they love their customers or their patients or their clients. And to just look at how something like this has completely devastated them. And then what that means in the trickle down for the employees that will no longer have a job to return to or not at the level at which they can continue to pay bills. And I think you're right, Phil, in terms of a long tail, I don't believe that the economy is just gonna bounce back because we get the green light to open our doors again. And so the need for the services that the food banks provide is going to continue to be um, heightened for months and months and months beyond when the governor gives us the green light to go back to work. Jerry, some of the people that have been coming to the food banks are the employee of the small businesses that Jody works with. And mm-hmm. you told me a couple of stories during the week about the reaction these are particularly people who've never had to negotiate the emergency food network before. What's some of the experiences you're seeing on the front line from some of the employees? Yeah, I mean, there's no question the feeling of gratitude that they have some place to go where they're going to get some help. And, and the process is pretty streamlined and simplified right now, too. So it's, it's easier than what people think. And of course, as time goes on, you know, there's, there's, we like to know information about people because we want to know where people are coming from and whether this has been enough food and whether it's served them well. And so collecting information helps us do a better job. But a lot of that's being abbreviated right now just because of the numbers. And so when you've got people who are already waiting in line with their car, you don't want them to wait any longer than they have to. And there's lots of reasons for that. Most of it has to do with dignity, but you also have traffic issues and other things you've got to be mindful of. So so what we're seeing is people driving up, 
they, they see, first of all, how much food they're getting and what quality it is. And they go, oh, my God, I, you know, they didn't know what to expect. Right. They they didn't know it was going to be a, a good experience and great food that that when they bring it home, their kids are going to think they went to the store. You know, it's it. They just don't know. Right. They don't know what to expect. Mm. And so when they come through and you get to see the relief. And the joy on their face when they go, oh, this this was worth it. You know what I mean? This was a good experience, and I'm so glad that I could get this help. Um, it is very gratifying. There's no doubt about it. Um, and it's daily, right? It's daily. It's at every distribution. Now, of course, some of the people we see are people we've seen before, and certainly people that know how the system works, and that's good too, because you want a safety net that's accessible. You want people to know how to use the system. You don't want them to be surprised, right? So uh, working with 211 and some of the other things we've done to try to communicate this well has worked. People are coming, both who we've seen before and who we've never seen. They're all being served well, and I think that's what we're happiest about. Have you seen an increase in your volunteer numbers, Jerry? We can't, right? So volunteering is tremendously decreased because we want to decrease the exposure okay. of the whole community and particularly the, the staff and the, and the clients that we're serving. So we cut back the number of volunteers pretty substantially on purpose. Now, we have gotten help from the National Guard and the Food Bank Council helped to arrange that for food banks across the state, and that has been hugely helpful. And we are still using volunteers who can come regularly, more like an employee, right? Okay. But even the volunteers have to make the attestations that, you know, they haven't been sick, okay. they haven't had a fever, they haven't had any symptoms. I mean, it's required by at least two of the counties that we operate in to actually do those every day. And volunteers are more like employees in that way as they're coming to help. And, sure. and thankfully... We are getting some uh, volunteers who can afford to do that. So let's take a quick break here, guys. Jody Schaefer, the owner of HRM Services. You can find her at workwithhrm.com. That's Jerry Brisson. He's with me every week on this show. I'm Dr. Bill Knight. We're all three back in just a moment. Food First, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. And Jody, you are talking to us a little bit about how we can get our employees ready because we've all been working remotely, but now we're thinking about re-engaging back in the office phase two and a lot of your clients are as well. So what, what, what are your thoughts? Because I know you've been sharing some with us and we've been sharing those across the network. Yeah, so um, I think one of the biggest things that employers can be doing right now, especially if you don't yet have staff back on site for in-person work, but you're, prepare you're preparing for that or you're gearing up for it, is to understand that um, one of the executive orders that came out, and I'm, I may be misquoting, I think it's 2020-57 or maybe 2020-59, but it's one of the stay-home, stay-safe orders that started to talk about industries that could now have the green light to reopen. And mm -hmm. one of the things that was listed in that executive order was that employers needed to have a COVID-19 preparedness and response plan drafted 
before they could bring employees back to work. Now, Jerry, you were talking about this in the first segment about speaking from a place of safety and really communicating with staff what you're doing to provide a a workplace that's free of known hazards. And COVID-19 would fall in the classification now of a known hazard, especially from OSHA's standpoint. So it's not just, you know, put this in place because it's something that's in an executive order and it's a box you need to check, but it really is going to require you as an employer to look at every aspect of your operation and figure out what you need to do differently in order to maintain safety in the workplace. And the beautiful thing about this is that there are many, many free templates that you can take a look at based on the risk profile of your industry or the risk profile of different positions within your industry. So for in food banking, for example, you know, the folks that are on the front line that are passing out food to the people that are driving up that have that need, there's much more interaction and contact in those positions than there would be for your finance person that's working remotely from home. So this response and preparedness plan really needs to be broken out by position based on risk of exposure. And Mm -hmm. then all you're doing is telling yourself, right, you're creating policies and protocols around how you're going to keep the workplace clean. You might have to screen employees before they start every shift. If you have people from the outside coming into your workplace, you may have to screen them as well. And it's your county health departments that are going to dictate the kinds of questions you need to ask and the frequency of that. So they all have um, forms and templates online. You can just Google it. But that's really the first place to start because that now becomes your platform from which to speak to employees about how to re-engage them in the workplace. They have to know that you're taking this seriously and that their safety is paramount. And then you can get into the X's and O's when it comes to their shift, their hours, their duties, et cetera. But if, if you don't start with how I'm going to keep you safe, you're going to lose them, right? Their ears have shut off mm-hmm. and they are, some of them, terrified. And some of them have um, health risks as well. They have compromised immune systems or they're, you know, and so they really need to understand the, the risk of leaving the home and evaluate for themselves whether that's a risk that they're willing to take. I think the good news is so do your customers. I mean, oh, absolutely. The bottom line is you're, you know, so put yourself in a position. You have two restaurants right next to each other. One of them has clear five foot spacing and has taken some precautions so that mm-hmm. their customers in the restaurant are going to be safe. And the other one, they're jammed in cheek to jowl. What are you going to choose? You know, I mean, the fact is you're going to think about it at least. Now, how much more would you pay for that safe environment? Five dollars a meal. a meal. Mm -hmm. I mean, the bottom line is consumers are going to make choices based on safety as well. And so for, for, you know, and, and again, we find this even in food banking where the people that are being served by us tremendously appreciate the care that we've taken to make sure that they're safe. And so I would Mm -hmm. just pass that along and say your employees want it, but so do your customers. And the more visible you can make those efforts, the better. So physical spacing in a restaurant, you can see. But it's also helpful to have signage 
that talks about, you know, the frequency with which you disinfect or remembering to wash your hands or, you know, the, the markings on the floor when you're standing in line to pay for something. All of those visuals are cues that reinforce to whoever the audience is, whether it's a customer or an employee, that you're taking this very seriously. So we've, we've got one more segment to do with you, Jody. I hope that you can hang around with us. And uh, I, I know there's a couple of other things that we're all facing that we want you to help us with. So hopefully you can stay with us. Happy to do so, yep. Jerry Passan, Jody Schaefer, Dr. Phil Knight, we're back. In just a moment, you come back and be with us too. Thanks for listening, everyone. We're back here on Food First Michigan. Jody Schaefer's our guest. She is the owner of HRM Services, and you can find her at workwithhrm.com. New website, and I love it, Jody. Yeah, and that's thank you. Jerry Bas- yeah, it's cool. Jerry Basson down on the bottom of my Zoom screen, but uh, we're all talking together here, uh, and um, Jody's helping all of us and really a lot of businesses across Michigan re-engage. Jerry, uh, conversation so far today, but I think there's one final point here we want to bring out. Well, you started the radio show this week talking about the importance of work supports. And a lot of what we've learned from the pandemic is that those work supports are critical. And Jody, you talked about it a little bit as well in terms of the businesses who are finding it really difficult to come back and are wondering if they're even going to survive. And so what are the kinds of things that we can do to make sure people can get back to work, that businesses can afford them to get back to work, and package that all together in a way that supports everybody? And we've, we've talked about minimum wage on this show several times and the pluses and minuses of a one-size-fits-all approach. In this case, I think what we need is a pretty comprehensive look at what is it that businesses really need to come back from this? What is it that employees really need to get back to work, and particularly uh, the people that we see are talking about childcare and how they're they're very concerned about how childcare has changed, not just with schools closing, but with uh, you know unknown restrictions on what's going to be possible for the childcare centers to even do once they're reopening and having kids come back, and so. Aligning work supports with whatever relief we provide is going to be a really important aspect of bringing the economy back. And Jody, what are you seeing on that front? Yeah, a couple of things. I think um, on the the topic of child care, the Federal CARES Act uh, was passed. And, and one of the things that it did was it expanded unemployment within the state. And um, the governor's executive orders also expanded unemployment, meaning the reasons that somebody could claim benefits beyond what was traditionally acceptable. And so loss of childcare became a qualifying reason. So that was helpful in terms of getting dollars into um, people's pockets, because as you said, now they are home with their children, which may prevent them from doing work. So assuming work was available for them, they may not be able to go to work or work remotely depending on the ages of their children or the needs of their children. So the unemployment came in as sort of a safety net in terms of of financial support in those cases. The federal government also passed um, paid leave 
provisions through the end of December of this year. And they called it the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. And it created two buckets of time, paid sick leave, which you could utilize for childcare reasons as well. That was up to two weeks. And then another thing that was done at the federal level was the creation of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, which was um, paid leave time through the end of December of this year for employers to offer their employees who had need to use it, either for their own health-related reasons in regards to COVID or for childcare reasons. Um, and this was a, something that's applicable to all employers with less than 500 employees. And so it was an opportunity for employers to pay employees who could not work for qualifying reason, childcare being one of them, and the, the wages that those employers were paying would be reimbursed to the employers through federal tax subsidies. So either an offset to your payroll taxes or a quarterly tax credit. So that was another you know, incentive to allow employers to still put money in the pockets of employees who now couldn't work through no fault of their own. So that's had some positive impact, but there were some exceptions that were allowed under Families First, one of which was healthcare providers. If you're a healthcare provider, you didn't have to offer these paid leave times. I think the original thought was we need our healthcare providers in the workplace to treat the, the pandemic. Um, but healthcare providers was defined very, very broadly by the Department of Labor. And so it really includes much more than just your frontline healthcare workers. It, it, it could be optometrist. It could be dentist. It, you know, it's a very big, pool of employers. And so not every employer is choosing to offer paid leave time, especially on the childcare side, because the fear is they won't have any employees that can come back to work and yet they have services they need to provide. So that's a struggle. There has been a recent development though, and it's at the state level. And I'd just like to spend a little bit of time on this if I could, because I think it ties in nicely with what Dr. Phil was saying in the very beginning that there have been programs set up that inadvertently disincentivized work. And with the very lucrative unemployment benefits right now, where you've got state unemployment benefits enhanced by an additional $600 per week federal benefit through the end of July, there are definitely employees that are collecting unemployment right now, making more on unemployment than they would make if they were back to work full time. So as you start to look at employers getting the green light to start calling folks back, it does create this push and pull because you've got employees who, you know, they're not necessarily um, opportunistic, but they have bills to meet and they need to purchase food and they've got kids at home and, and they're trying to figure out how to make the dollars and cents work out. And so finally, uh, the Unemployment Insurance Agency retooled an existing program called WorkShare to allow employers to use it instead to bring people back on payroll gradually and that um, employers could could re put people back on a reduced schedule anywhere from 10% reduction to 60% reduction. So a very big range that allows employers to ramp up slowly and that unemployment would then offset the reduced wages caused by the reduced schedule with a partial state benefit unemployment check and because you're getting at least $1 in state benefits, you still get the full 600 federal payment each week through the end of July. So with this retooled work share program, employees actually may come out ahead financially 
than if they were solely working or solely on unemployment. This hybrid model allows them to win, right? It's an incentive, but it also takes some of that financial burden off employers who don't have capital right now, nor the business to support a full payroll. Wow, we've been talking about that for like three and a half years on this show. Right, right. (laughs) As I said, finally, we have realized that it can be a tiered system. It doesn't have to be a cliff where you get all the benefits and then you get none of the benefits. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Mm -hmm. we got to hang on to that one. Jerry, what what do you, there's no way we can cover everything that, number one, that Jody knows and that we all need to hear in one show. So we're going to have to have her back. Right. Oh, well, fortunately, we can cover all that we're capable of understanding. So at least there's that to lean on. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that was only the first 30 seconds. No, it's always great to have Jody with us. I mean, again, this is a, this is a really timely topic um, as food banks and others who've been, you know, even at work, but splitting work, you know, some people at home and some people mm-hmm. at work and thinking about what is it going to mean to come back to work? What is it going to mean for the people we serve as they're grappling with, you know, different childcare situations and different mm-hmm. states of employment and different people coming back and not coming back and and all this stuff is really going to be important over the next month or so as the economy comes back. And as you said, doctor, uh, the economy feeds more people than everything else combined. And so certainly right. we're very eager to see the economy come back, but safely and appropriately as we mm-hmm. move forward. Jody, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Time for a little food for thought, folks. Work is good, essential to our esteem and our even our intrinsic value. We know that as Michigan restarts the economy, that there is no going back to normal, the way things were before COVID-19 struck our nation and our state. But we know we can find a way to restart, to re-engage with smart, insightful people like Jody Schaefer, helping us think through the challenges of re-engaging and our commitment to help people where they are, we will continue to take hunger off the table and keep everyone safe as we continue to keep food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.